This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season 2. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. Some of the top local and regional anglers in North America. Anglers who consistently finish near the top in both largemouth and smallmouth bass fishing tournaments. Travis and his guest will discuss techniques and strategies used to help these anglers stay so consistent and help you become a better angler and gain an edge on your body of water. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name's Travis Manson. We got another great guest lined up for today's show. Well, he's pretty well diverse when it comes to bass fishing, both largemouth and smallmouth. And I'm sure he's got some great information to share with us on this episode. But before we go there, of course, we got to talk about the real shot. It's quickly becoming the go-to shop for bass anglers across the country. A vast selection of some of the most sought-after brands in fishing. Hard-to-find baits and a whole bunch of staple brands like VMC, Rapala, Berkeley, Z-Man, of course, Mega Bass, Kitech, St. Croix Rods. I don't know. Shimano. They got it all. Head on over to realshot.com. Use my code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15. You'll get 15% off your first order. It's, it's a no-brainer. Head on over, check out what they got. Same day shipping. Let's get into the guest of the week. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Man, I'm excited to have you on the show because you you dominate the Mississippi River, dude. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you uh you know how to catch them there. I grew up growing up in Wisconsin. You know, I, I watched you. I mean, your very first. I, I don't know if it was very first, but years ago, I mean, you want to boat at such an early age. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that was on the river or not. I'm sure uh, you can talk a little bit about that because you've just been doing so well for years and years. Your name's always at the top, whether it be a BFL or a local tournament on the river, you just, you're so dialed into it and it's a tough body of water to fish i mean i assume it's changing constantly and there's so many different factors that go into fishing the mississippi river that we're going to have a lot to talk about if you could just give us a little bit of background introduce yourself to anyone who's not familiar with you and and a little bit about your home home body of water and, and some of the different things you got going on when it comes to tournament fishing yeah well my name is Cade loffenberg and uh for having me on the show it's an honor to be here uh, I live in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I grew up here, born and raised. At an early age, my dad took out on the Mississippi. You know, we'd go out, we had a family boat, an older, you know, 1980s, just river boat, not a fishing boat at all. And we'd go to the beach and my sisters would swim and my mom would fun bathe and my dad and I would just throw a night crawler out and we'd catch sheephead and walleyes and catfish and whatever else. And there's a few rock jetties on this beach that we like to go to and I figured out pretty quick that if you let your worm kind of float over towards that rock jetty, you'd probably pick up a smallmouth or two. And that's when I really started to get into the bass. You know, age six, seven years old, I was really, really do it. Um, everybody else was waking up to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings. And I was waking up to watch the Bassmasters on TNN. I mean, that was my jam. I mean, like 2003, watching Takahiro win the classic, that stands out to me. And I just, I knew at an early age that I wanted to do that. Um, and I was really fortunate. That there was a junior bass club in the lacrosse area that I was able to become a part of and take a little bit of tournament fishing at an early age. I won the state tournament when I was 14 years old. 
um, or 15 years old. And then I won it again when I was 16. And then that's when I really felt I had some momentum and started to get some confidence. And then when you talk about that boat that I won, I was actually coiler at the Detroit River in a strength series. I was 17. So I kind of took that confidence from doing the junior stuff, went and fished the strength series as a co-angler and won my first one. It was an awesome experience. Like I was just thrilled just to get to fish on that big water and just to end up winning it was just a dream come true. And I kind of just rolled that momentum and, and transitioned that into a college fishing career. I fished for Winona State University for a solid five-year senior career and had a good time there, learned a lot, got to fish in a lot of tournaments around the country and gained experience from that. And then after Winona State, I kind of just graduated fishing BFLs and it's been going pretty well these first two years out of college. So well, I guess it's been, it feels like it's only been a few years, but I'm, I'm pushing 30 now. So it's been more than a few, but hopefully we can take that next step in the next year or two and get to the Toyotas or the Bassmaster Opens again. So, yeah, I was going to ask you what, what's next. I mean, if you look at your track record, when it comes to the tournaments in Wisconsin and Minnesota on, on the Mississippi river, um, I mean, it's, it's hard. You, I mean, you're, you're one of the guys they wish wouldn't show up at the tournament. Uh, you know, you're a hard guy to beat and it, it just fascinates me because as we were saying at the beginning, that river's changing constantly. And how do you stay on top of that? You, you got to look at all the different, you know, the competition. There's, there's a lot of good anglers over there yet. You consistently come out ahead. What's the secret. That's what we want to know. Man, one of the biggest secrets is uh, just I don't catch a lot of fish. <laughs> Honestly, I spend so much of my time out there observing and looking and just trying to find something new. Like every now and then I'll appease myself and go to a place where I know there's some fish and just like lean on them because it's like I need to every now and then just to get my, you know, mechanical skills brushed up or whatever. But the biggest thing is having a short-term memory on this river because you'll have a sandbar that you might win a tournament off of and then you get a big flood the next spring and it just makes that sandbar clearing off the map and, and you just got to figure out the the actual topography of this river changes so much you got to learn where those drops are moving to i got drops i got my eyes on right now that i've been watching for three or four years you see them expand they're they're pushing down further downstream and eventually i know that drop is going to hold a fish or a big school of fish, and I just keep checking it and checking it. These are the kinds of things I do. I waste a ton of time in practice fishing water. I've never caught a bass, but where I'm predicting that someday they're going to set up just because of the way the river's pushing the sediment around. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I, I just figured that out from an early age. I, I was really fascinated with finding groups of fish that I felt like were just using an area for the first time. Um, and I think that's how you win tournaments. When you're constantly going back to areas where you've caught them in the past, it seems like they're just never as good as they were the first time those fish got there, at least on this river. So I find I always can go back to a place in a tournament. Like I've got stretches and whatever else, like any, anywhere else in the country, you know, you've got go-to banks or go-to points where you can usually catch a fish. I won't even pre-fish that kind of stuff. I find 90% of my practice looking for that one like needle in the haystack place that just got right for the first time ever. And when they show up on that, it's game over. You know, I found a spot like that down on pool nine last year and I won the regional off of it. 
Um, and then this year, I uh, led the first day of the Super off of it. But I think it, you, when you got a spot like that, it's, it's just you get two or three years off, maybe if you're lucky, before the river changes it forever. So hmm. I think that's just the key to success is always being on the leading edge of that new place that the fish are using and then figuring out how that fits into their migration pattern for the rest of the season as well. I guess for the viewers and listeners, the, the Mississippi River is broken down into pools and there's basically dams uh, in between the pools and you can lock through. The ones that I'm familiar with would be, if I recall right, seven, eight, and nine. Does that make sense right there? Yeah, that's, that's yep. Is that the the pools you're most familiar with, or have you expanded above and beyond that? And I'd like to know what your what's your favorite, or do you have one? Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to pick a favorite because they're all they all have their time, you know, and and you learn to figure out which ones really set up at certain times here too to be better. But I I've got a lot of experience on pools four through ten, and that's a broad range there. But mm-hmm. uh, I lived in Winona for. 10 years while I went to college and I was there post-college as well. So I gained a lot of experience on those upper pools. Um, but then I've since moved back to lacrosse where I grew up. So I've, my most experience is on, is on seven, eight, nine, um, which is kind of where you want to be for the big money tournaments. Anyway, I, I think if I had to pick pool five, a is probably my favorite pool of all time on the Mississippi river. It's just right there in Winona. I always tell people that aren't from around here when they come up, uh, everybody wants to come to lacrosse because, you know, the lacrosse has gotten so much exposure from the Elite Series tournaments and FLW Tour events and Major League Fishing events. And I'm just like, man, you keep coming to lacrosse, but you're fishing. It's like fishing Kentucky Lake after the Kentucky Lake boom, you know. Like, yes, this fishery is still great. There's great fish here, but they've been pressured so much that you're not going to have that crazy frog bite we used to get. So you go up to the upper pools and 5A and still end up pool in my book. Uh, I love going up there. Spent a lot of days on that pool. It's a short little pool full of fish. Great time. But as far as the rest of the pools, I mean, they're all phenomenal. And you just got to figure out what you like fish. They all have different elements to them. Some pools are more main channel oriented, like pool six. Not a lot of backwaters on pool six compared to the other ones. So it's a great small pool. Um, pool nine, the water's dirtier down there. So the fish don't use the grass the way they do on pool eight. They're more hardcover oriented down there. Uh, they, they use a lot of wood, even some wood that's off the bank. So it, you just got to figure out those dynamics and see what suits your style and pick the right pool for you. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, it's, su- it's such a vast area. It's, it's full of different, I mean, as far as structure goes, there's so many different avenues and different techniques and even species. I mean, smallmouth and largemouth in, in that river system, it sometimes can, can seem overwhelming. Is there a place in pool seven, eight, or nine that you have not been to or at least looked at? I think there is. I mean, honestly, really? there's probably several. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much water out there. I mean, I'm. it's getting to the point where it's getting harder and harder to find that. You know, I'm always trying to challenge myself to go a little different area or there's certain sections of the very south end of pool eight that I probably need to put my boat a little more often. And certainly on the south end of pool nine, you get on these south ends of these pools where it widens out and it's big flat grass flats. I mean, you get multiple football field sections of eelgrass and there's little intricacies in, in those eelgrass beds that you're never going to really find unless you get out there 
maybe before the grass comes up and side scan and try to find some bumps or something like that. I mean, there's, there's so much I could, I always tell myself like, this year I'm going to go figure this out. And then you get into the next season and that you get in the swing of things. And it just seems like you never really have the time to go out there and spend like two weeks graphing this giant fat, you know? <laughs> so I never really get to it. There's definitely areas out there where I'm sure there's, crazy stuff that no one's ever found that no one probably ever will is out in the middle of nowhere. But now I've seen some pictures, uh, on your Instagram in the past when you're out there in some brutal conditions. So obviously you fish that thing, like, you know, there's, there's ice when you're, when you're trying to fish out of a boat, a lot of times I've noticed and oh, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> crazy, but the bite's still amazing. Yeah, it can be. If you know what to look for, it's, and your options are a lot more limited. I mean, you can catch them on a jerk bait, a small swim bait that's really slow on the bottom, and a blade bait. Those are basically the three baits I'm using. But yeah, I mean, if you can if you can figure out the key, and if you got good water clarity, I mean, water clarity is absolutely everything when it gets this cold. For the smallmouth, uh, I've got like four different wintering holes I know about. This The wintering smallmouth on this river are just like a needle in a haystack too. I mean, you go out there and you grab for hours and hours on the main river looking for these fish because they don't, they get off of the, the rock structure and they get into, you know, sand, like areas that have sand bottom and, and harder bottom. But you go, you go to grass in those areas and it's nothing but fish everywhere. I mean, it's like all the species in the river are all using the same type of water. And it's mm. so hard to distinguish the smallmouth from red horse suckers and sheephead and walleye i mean it just all looks kind of the same on your graph sometimes and you know i'm sure there's some guys that are better electronics wizards than me that would figure it out quicker but but yeah that's kind of what i do i look for those offshore smallmouth this time of year and, and catch them on a blade bait or a small swim bait i'll probably be doing mm. that this week because we got some good weather but. what would you say your favorite time of the year the fish the river would be uh, it's so hard. I, I always feel like my favorite time is like whatever time it is at that time. I'm always like, oh, this is my favorite time. But really, when I look at it, I think that mid-October period, just prime fall time when the water's in like the low 50s, so good. I mean, when, when they're biting the A-rig, topwater, jerkbait, and the trap, like all at the same time, when it's in that key window, they're chewing it, you know, just eating the paint off of it. That's my favorite time, I think. But it's also hard to beat a, a good pre-spawn bite too. And same same window, like when that water's in the low fifties, it's just everything's really coming alive. In April and May, mm-hmm. when it's like that, so I think it's more water temperature based than anything. But when you look back over the years and all the tournaments that you've done well in, could you or are you able to narrow it down to more specific uh, techniques and baits that have done you? you know, better than others, or is it a variety of different techniques that you've used? It's definitely been a pretty big variety across the spectrum, I would say. But when I really think about it and look at it, usually when I win a tournament, it's always been when I always had like one spot. Most of the time it was a spot that I didn't think was that good either, which is kind of weird. But like, it seems like when you actually look at pro tournaments and stuff too, it seems like that's the way it typically goes down for pro too, or you found a little something that you thought was decent and you're like, okay, I'm going to start here and just get a it. And you start there and it ends up being like way better than you expected. And you just blast them. That's how it's really gone for me. 
it always ends up being like one key spot and it's usually a moving bait deal right on them like that and it happens early and my first bfl when i had the tournament one in the first half an hour i mean mm-hmm. i mean it was just and it was like i said on the, the day before the tournament i caught some two and three quarter pounders there i thought okay i'm gonna start here and catch 14 pounds this was a spring event so i knew it was gonna take a lot of weight so i thought just getting 14 pounds would help me like make good decisions the rest of the day but i caught 20 pounds off of that spot which is a huge bag for the river but then i ended up upgrading even more throughout the day to get to 22 and it just like i said it just happened like that off of one spot and it was on a swim bait so i think just for me it's it's a spot spot on the spot location it's an every cast deal and it's a moving bait usually when I, that's my strength that's when i seem to really run away with the tournament if i can mm. do that what would you say your favorite way to catch them would be my favorite way to catch them is probably frogging when they're actually biting a frog good which seems like those days have kind of changed a lot um, here on the river, but you do still get glimpses of a really good frog bite here now. But I'm talking about the old days back when I was really getting into fishing here back in like 08, I'd say it was probably the best year I can remember. You'd pull up into a section of duckweed that was the size of your living room and you'd catch like 30 keepers out of it, you mm. know, on the, on the right day. That was the kind of frog fishing that, I mean, that's the day you dream about and it doesn't come around too often anymore, but when they're just choking that frog and you can just reef them out of that cover, there's nothing better than that. When you're frogging on the river, there's so many different, we all think of matted up vegetation and that's, that's probably a lot of frogging, but do you do a lot of, uh, you know, around cover, around wood? What, what is you, what are you normally targeting when you are throwing a frog? Yeah, there's kind of multiple phases of the frog bite I'd say on the river. I start throwing it, I mean, I caught them on a frog in March before when we get a really good warm front and they start getting up in the real shallows around the grass, just using that first warm water. These are pretty warm fish that are just coming up um, just to get warm and they're just kind of stupid when they do that and you can catch them on just about anything. Where I think the first really good frog bite comes into play that you can actually like win a tournament is when the fish are actually spawning and it's usually when the water's high um, they get up and they spawn on tree roots when the, when the water pushes up into the woods. And I'll take a frog and just kind of slow twitch it next to those roots, and you see them wake over at it. And you can catch them on a buzz bait or you know a popper or any kind of topwater bait. But I like a frog because I can you know it's just really versatile. If I get around some thicker stuff, I can skip it underneath there, and I don't have to worry about getting hung up and spooking fish or anything like that. Um, but after that, there becomes a really good post spawn period where a frog plays on like overhanging grass banks. And this is a deal where you're going to have current and it's like just a mud bank with grass overhanging on it. A lot of people like to flip these banks with a Texas rig or a tube or you know, just a jig, something like that. I like to frog and, and really focus on the parts where the grass overhangs into the water. If you can get a frog through the grass back in there, I mean, a lot of times you won't see the fish eat it. You'll just hear it and you just hook because they got it every time. They're, they're sitting there under that grass clump anticipating something, whether it's a bird or a mouse or something falling into the river. And uh, you can catch them really good in the post-spawn on that pattern, really throughout the summer too. Um, and then as we start to get into late June, early July, that's when the eelgrass and all the, the slop starts to really develop. And those fish, you'll see a very distinct transition where you might be catching them flipping on wood really good. And that's when that overhanging grass frog bite is playing as well. 
all of a sudden you won't be getting bit on that stuff and it's because they move to the grass. Some of that grass just gets right in early July and they, they just leave those banks and get in the grass. And I mean, it's probably something to do with the bluegill spawn and all that stuff going on too. So um, that's when it just becomes a full blown um, slot frog bite. Like you see on the TV shows from back in the day, the elites and all that. Right. I mean, that's what I have in my mind when, when I see, when you, when you talk frog fishing there, I just see, you know, all that duckweed and the mats and, and blow up after blow up. But you say it, it, it's not like that anymore. Is that because of fishing pressure? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is definitely fishing pressure. I mean, most of it really, it truly is. I mean, so I know that there's nothing wrong with this fishery. There's a million fish still here and the quality is absolutely there. But in the summertime, when we we get we just get tournament after tournament after tournament, like every weekend there's 50 to 100 boat tournaments, high school events, college events, and that's all awesome and great. Like I love it, but man, it has changed the dynamic of the fishery. These fish have just become really smart, and frog fishing is what is a known tournament proven winning technique here. So just as you're going to see at Kentucky Lake on the ledges mm-hmm. where guys are going to go and throw a six XD crankbait all day on a ledge. Whether they're around fish or not, that's what they're going to throw. That's what you're seeing here. And the fish are responding the same way that they do on those ledges where they shut down and get tough. Those fish are still under those mats, but they're wise. Like, they see a million frogs come zipping by them with somebody that's reeling it in, you know. Because that's what a lot of people do when you're fishing an expansive mat, myself included. You don't really feel like you have time to sit there and twitch that frog so slow when you've got a football field mat to cover. Mm-hmm. So everybody reels it real fast, and these fish are there, but they just they see so many frogs. It's like I'm not gonna bite that. So you got to figure out the nuances of how they want that frog. You know, maybe it's a a slower retrieve or a certain color or a profile change, like just something subtle and different. And also, it comes down to the right areas too. You got to really um, hedge your bets in areas that have high potential and, and grind them out now instead of running running so much. Yeah, that, that yeah. definitely makes sense. I know you probably have a, a bunch of sneaky frog tricks and I'm going to have to ask you some questions when it comes to the frog. But before we get to that, uh, I do want to ask, what is your favorite type of frog to throw? Yeah. I mean, I've been really tinkering with frogs the last few years. I was with Spro for quite a while. I really like throwing that frog, obviously. Uh, this year, I got into Strike King frogs a lot more. They work very well. I've been, you know, I've won a tournament off of them back in August. So I'm kind of still dabbling with that quite a bit. I really throw a variety of different frogs for different situations. I, I threw the 13 frog quite a bit this year. It's got a little different action. It's got some features I like. But I still believe that truly the perfect frog has not been designed yet. Like every frog hmm. has its little quirks. You know, like some of them have a great action, great softness in the the weight pops out of them. Like I'm still kind of looking for, for the perfect frog. And I think it's going to be designed one of these days, but I don't know on the river. I, I stick to pretty simple things. Black is my go-to color. But when we get into the fall, it starts to become more about white and just changing colors is a big thing, but, but really more so than the frog itself. It's more just about how you're working the frog. I think is, is the biggest key. Like a lot of people just, like I was talking about with that retrieve earlier, People just aren't stopping the bait enough. A lot of times you got to stop that bait and let it sit there forever. If there's a fish like looking at it and you move it too soon, he might lose interest. But if you just let it sit there, sometimes that just drives him nuts, you know? So I think that's more the key. 
to, to figuring out the frog bite is just the hate feel. Yeah, some great information when it comes to frog fishing. Now, you, you mentioned fishing under the right situations and narrowing it down because there is so much places on the Mississippi River. And just like anywhere in the country, you can't go to a lot of lakes where it's just so massive. It's like, where do you start? You know, what makes the perfect spot? What makes the best frog spot on the river? We're going to go into that as soon as we take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. Don't rush out to the water just yet. We'll be right back after this break. Well, hey guys, I teamed up with Beast Coast Fish and designed a sneaky little jig that's going to help you catch more fish, whether it be smallmouth, spotted bass, largemouth. This thing, for all you can see this, we're watching this on the YouTube channel, a sneaky little finesse jig, no weed guard, comes in quarter, three-eighths, and half ounce, very thin skirt, right? Not a lot of skirt material. It's designed to emphasize the trailer that you're using. So put your favorite trailer on. I prefer like a TRD, any type of craw, a smallie beaver works great. Z-Man makes a lot of great trailers as well for this jig. I've been throwing a lot this season. I've been catching some amazing fish. Like I am, I am a jig fanatic right now. I'll drop straight down on them over deep water. I'll make cast. I'll, uh, I'll actually drag this as well. Killer little finesse football jig. It's actually the Beast Coast open water sniper jig. Head on over to Beast Coast Fishing com and check them out today so a lot of great information uh as far as frog fishing and dialing it in i first of all i want to i want to circle back what would be the perfect frog because you mentioned a lot of things i think a lot of us have issues with i mean i've spent some big money on some expensive frogs and the weight comes out or you know they'll start sinking or they'll take on water it's there's so much to it it's not just you know grab a bait out of the package and 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 throw it out there. I know there's a lot of tricks and as far as the hooks, uh, getting a good hookup with a frog, if you could kind of explain what would be the perfect frog and then what you do to some of the brands that are out there now, if anything, to help you get more bites with that frog. A big thing is that weight situation. Like, like you just mentioned, I mean, if these companies could figure out how to get a weight that's like somehow molded into the body of the frog, where it's not even external at all, that would be helpful. So there's no chance of that weight popping out on you because that you can have a perfect frog that's never even been kissed by a pike and the weight just popped out. It's useless. I mean, you try to glue it back in, but it's never as good. So that's a big one. But also like the hooks are a big one for me. A lot of times you get frogs that have good hooks in them, but they're just, the angle's not quite right. It doesn't snug to the body, right? So then you got to tweak them with the pliers uh, and that's fine. I mean, I can get them pretty good to where it hugs the frog. So it doesn't catch every little piece of angel hair grass because that's a big problem here on the river. It'd be nice if they came that way out of the package and you didn't have to mm. mess with them so much. Especially, I don't really like bending hooks around and changing the integrity of that hook. You know, I wish it was not a, I'd like to see them just be already perfect to go out of the package. Maybe a, a Mississippi River frog, you know, ready to go for the place. I see a lot of these frogs, you can tell they're designed in the south where guys are fishing them around like wood and stuff like if you throw that thing in heavy angel hair, like it's going to catch a piece of grass as soon as it touches the water. So I think mm. getting that hook angle right, uh, they got to be tilted up just ever so slightly. That gets the best penetration in the mouth, I believe. And then it's got to hug the body. So it's kind of a fine, fine uh, line there between being a good bait and being something that catches grass. 
But also, I think Spro did something really good with, with when they came out with that frog that's got the tails on it. That's something I've been kind of modifying and doing to my frogs for a long time under mm-hmm. the table. And it kind of sucks to see that come on the market more and more now with these companies because now everybody's got access to that. But it's it's definitely a fish catcher. Scum frog always had that big foot or whatever, but I think yes. that was kind of been a little bit something that not really made the tournament trails, you know. Mm-hmm. Molex had that one that I got one and it works. It has great action, but very, not very durable is what I discovered. I shredded mm. it like after one bike. So. Yeah. But. Well, that's another thing you guys have obviously a lot of pike up there and destroy your baits, whether it be a, a frog or a spinner bait, whatever the case, do you prefer a walking or a popping frog? I'm a walking okay. frog kind of guy for sure. I, I did throw a popping frog a little bit this, late summer i was throwing a jackal but that, that's a pretty sweet frog it's got some good hooks in it mm-hmm. again I, I don't remember i mean i'm not sponsored by any of these companies and i want to give them a bunch of free promotion but that's a good one too though sure but sure. yeah i'm most of, mostly a walking frog guy when when it comes down to it 90 percent of the time i mean you can't throw a popping frog in the duckweed very well unless it's real thin so so what would make the right area what would somebody look for when you go to a a new body of water that has so much vegetation, has wood, has uh, cut banks, has all the right frog looking spots. How are you going to try to narrow that, that down? What would be some advice you can give someone that's new to the area? It's, there's a lot that goes into it, but a big, a big piece of the puzzle I think that's important to grasp is all about water level. That's really the biggest thing. If the water's low, like it was most of this summer, you can just eliminate a ton of water because you know there's just nothing under that mat and it's hard to explain you get an eye you get a knack for knowing like the kind of vegetation that's growing in certain depths and i can't really describe it to somebody that that doesn't fish here but if you're driving around and you see like the the small little lily pads and they're all tightly packed together and they're covered up with angel hair and then you kind of see the bank tapers up you can read the bank where it's like mud and it's really flat and then you see that super thick matted stuff coming off of that you can kind of tell when you look at it that it's like dirt shallow right there but then it starts to taper out and you get some eelgrass starting to grow and then you maybe see some some nice bright green duckweed that's the kind of stuff that you're going to visually look at and you're going to know that there's two or three foot of water under that just by how it looks mm-hmm. and again you just have to develop that eye for it maybe you could gain that that eye by going along with a punch rig and punching and actually visually take note how much water is in there when you drop through. I have that eye, so I just drive around and I'm like, there's water under that mat. There's water under mm. that mat. I can I can read the mat and tell. But in a low water situation, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's got water under it. And it's it's kind of like fishing a reservoir where you're looking for like a channel swing bank or something like that. I'm looking for a channel swing on that weed mat, somewhere where the current's swinging and hitting on that corner. And usually you'll see it makes a nice tight mat where where the mat is crisp it has a crisp edge where it falls off from vegetation to vegetation really rapidly and the current sweeping underneath that that's where those fish are going to position on a river system um also areas where there might be a point that creates a back eddy they'll actually set up on the other side of the back eddy where the current's coming back around so right where the current changes direction one way it's going downstream the other way it's going backwards right where it makes that turn if there's a mat sitting there, which oftentimes there is in the backwaters, they'll be piled up under that mat under low water conditions. Now, when the water's high, that's when 
things get a little different, you got to start to read. First of all, it helps a lot if you know where there's been some fish before the water came up. That's a big key. I mean, if you can stay with the fish and know, hey, this area has been holding fish all year. Now the water came up three feet. Now I'm going to follow them back into the vegetation. And what I do with that is I look at, I call them hard lines. So anywhere that there's tall reeds or airheads or any kind of embankment, just something that will stop the water from going past that, especially dirty water. Like that's the biggest key. When the water comes up, a lot of times there's dirty water associated with that. And those hard lines will stop the dirty water from intruding beyond that. So those fish will suck up tight to those hard lines. So where you were catching them off of that mat before on the edge on that channel thing um, where, where you had just enough water, now that the water has come up two or three foot, you're just going to push back to the nearest hard line from that is usually what happens. So if you kind of have an understanding of how that goes, you can, you can find fish a lot quicker under different water levels. And that's really just, that's a very low technology grasp of, of how to find fish frogging on the river. There's so much more that goes into it. And so it's different. I can tell you could probably talk about this for hours. Like I'm just blown away right now. I feel like I wouldn't even be able to compete, dude. Like it's crazy. Uh, The amount of knowledge you have just on, on that. I mean, it's just, you know, you just think of everything as a lateral motion, you know, in low water, the fish are on the edge and then on high water, they just push further in. And that's, again, there's no heart, like, they'll blow your mind to where they'll actually end up. But that's a good starting point to work from. And if you don't find them, just keep pushing further back, further back as you're dealing with water that's coming up. I mean, we saw it firsthand in a tournament this year, this area we've been using all summer because the water was at the same level for weeks and weeks. And these fish just weren't leaving this area, cashed several checks out of it. And then finally the water did come up and we went to that stretch and the stretch still looked right. I mean, it absolutely looked perfect, but they weren't there. And that's when we put in and we managed to catch like two, three and a half pounders up in the stuff. We didn't, we didn't get a check that day, unfortunately, but we did relocate the fish, which was a personal victory, you know, just to to Mm -hmm. kind of confirm what we suspected. So it, it does work like that quite often. But again, like I said, it helps to know where they are going into it you've got that's where you can start a little bit of background research if you're coming here to the river it's not hard to figure out where some of the community areas for tournaments have been won all you got to do is is watch some of these pro tournament shows to find out you know Stoddard, lake on alaska you know some basic community frogging areas and then try to apply that that logic to it on mm-hmm. what conditions you're facing fascinating so much so much that goes into it i give you a lot of credit for being able to have such a massive body of water that's constantly changing dialed in but i think the whole key here is staying on the fish visualizing things understanding fish movement which takes a lot of time especially if you're not used to a river system i gotta ask smallmouth or largemouth what do you prefer I am, I am 50, 50, honestly, I am whatever I think can win a tournament is what I'm after. I mean, I love, if I can get on the big smallmouth, I love it. I'm all in, but man, I switch week to week. I really mm. do. I, it's hard for me. It's a toss up. I, I think, I guess I'd give the edge to smallmouth in the spring. There's something about catching a big bag of pre-spawn smallies that I can't get over, but sure. it's pretty close between the two. Well, I ask everybody on the show, I want to know your, your personal best and if you caught it on the Mississippi or, or where that came from. 
Yeah, my personal best for all the places I've been in the country, it's kind of weak. I caught a 6-6 largemouth on Table Rock Lake on an A-rig. Um, and it was a really long, it looked like it was going to die soon kind of fish. Mm. Like that thing was probably right. an eight-pounder at one point. But smallmouth, I did catch my PB on the rear in a tournament, 6-4. I caught in that wow. BFL that I won, my first one. So A six-pounder, that's extremely rare, right, on the river? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I caught maybe six or seven in my life and and they are they are very rare especially wow. the, the small mouth especially are rare well my next question would be and this might be a real hard one for you you gotta <laughs> think long and hard because i don't know i i'm i'm curious about the answer with this if i was to give you one bait to use next year on the river and that's it it's all you could throw the whole year oh, what God. would it be probably airline rig Green pumpkin speed craw. Really? Yeah. Speed craw. I mean, if I could only do one thing, like, ah, I think I could win some good money doing that. I'd probably get really frustrated because I'd break <laughs> off like 40 Carolina eggs a day. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, because you're saying I can only have one. I'm like, well, if there's yeah. one bait that's always going to bail me out, it's that. That's it. I mean, I, catch, I, I weigh a lot of fish in on a dang Carolina rig. And it's funny when I listen to Bass Talk Live and I hear Panger uh, talk about his disdain for the Carolina rig, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, man, anytime if you're listening, you can come to the river and I'll take you out. Well, the Carolina rig fish, and I'll change your mind on that. So, are you talking smallmouth or are you also catching a lot of largemouth Carolina rigging in the river? It's both. It's a it's a both no deal for sure. It catches big largemouth too. I mean, it's like a clam bed, clam bed or sandbar type of deal there'd probably be some tournaments where i do pretty bad if i had the carolina rig all the time but i'd make up for it with ones i do really well in too it's kind of a it works really well in the springtime when they're set up on points and and shell beds and stuff pretty fun mm -hmm. and then it works really well basically from mid-july all the way through october i mean it's just it's like a late summer pattern i feel like that's really it really stands out fascinating we could probably talk another hour just on the sea rig but we are running short on time i, I want to thank you for coming on i really like am super impressed with with all the work and and the success that you had in the river uh, i encourage everyone to uh to follow you on social media if you could let us know how to do that and keep up with uh, everything you got going on yeah i'm just at Cade laufenberg fishing on uh instagram i'm also on tiktok these days and Facebook, Cade Laufenberg Fishing on Facebook. I'd appreciate a like. And and uh, you can even subscribe to my YouTube channel. Same thing, Cade Laufenberg Fishing on everything. So, And thanks awesome. for having me on. It was a good time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, this is great. We're going to put all the information down in the description below. And I uh, wish you the best of luck in the future. What is your plans? What's the ultimate goal? Do you want to stay local or do you want to, you want to uh, do it more on the national level? I definitely want to do it on the national level. For me, the financial aspect has always been a big holdback, um, but I'm finally starting to get some things right. So I'm feeling like it's almost time for me to really try. I fished the Bassmaster Opens in 2019. I had two bad tournaments and two good tournaments. I finished ninth at Grand Lake in Oklahoma. That was my highlight. I left those tournaments feeling like I could compete at that level finally. It's been a couple of years now, obviously, but I, I'm I, confidence-wise, I'm ready just trying to get my money right i finally got a new truck i got a new boat last year for i've won a new boat in 20 
and then bought a new truck last year. So I have those things in my favor finally. Now I just got to scrounge up the entry fee money, and I think we'll be ready to play ball. But I hope someday soon you make it. And again, thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. As always, guys, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.